Hello, 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 and welcome to the Jolly Heretic. I have a very special guest for you today, and that is a comedian that I met at a conference called Mr. Nick Dixon. And we're going to talk about how, uh, about his background, about how he got into comedy, and about uh, what's going on in, in, in comedy these days, and how wokeness is affecting comedy, and how, how and being able to have a laugh. Nick, how do you do? Hello. Hello, I'm well. How are you? Are you well? Are you well? Not really. No, you indicated a minute ago that uh, you, you weren't that. It's just a thing you say, isn't it? But <laughs> you've broken the fourth wall. I'm not really well. No, I'm very tired and uh, and I'm mentally a mess because I'm a comedian or former comedian. So I have high neuroticism, Ed, as we discussed on our other podcast. Yeah, but you should also have high narcissism. A little bit. So I have a, little, a decent a decent chunk. A healthy level of narcissism <laughs> should, 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 should out, balance out the neuroticism and allow you to function. Yes, it does for the most part, but sometimes it gets a bit thrown off. Um, and I should point out, I did say to you, I don't identify as a comedian anymore. Ed. You've got to use my correct pronouns and identifiers. I, I, I'm sort of post-comedy. I've left the comedy industry. So I'm now I'm a comedian slash commentator or comedic commentator. It allows me to be not that funny and not that serious. I'm sort of right so in the sweet you, spot. You're sort of living life on fast forward. You're like Jim Bowen in the 80s those, or, or Roy Walker. Those people that used to that were comed had been comedians in the 70s and now they... they, they uh, Host game shows, right? Like, and I host a political show, so I'm kind of with, with a few jokes. Exactly, they don't, they, it's so much they easier. Don't, <laughs> yeah, but they, they don't they don't do the full the comedians stand up anymore with jokes about the Irish or anything like that. Right, the closest I'll get. I mean, I did do a one off gig following. Um, well, I came on just before Dr. Jordan Peterson, if you've heard of him. But then I've also I do my live show, the Weekly Skeptic podcast. We have a live show, me and Toby Young. So I do a bit of stand up at the start, but it's mainly just roasting Toby Young. And saying why yeah. he's a cuck, so it's not pure stand-up, really. So it's just, it's just saying Toby Young is a bit bald. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind like of that thing. Sort of, that sort of level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I <laughs> they see. love I, it. I, they, 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 they. Then they again, like when I thought about that, that's actually the same predicament that any famous comedian would be in. You know, if you're Stuart Lee or whoever, you are just pandering to your audience. I was feeling guilty about it. It's like these are like in jokes for our audience, but actually, once you transcend the club comedy circuit level, you know, and become a, a stadium act. You're always pandering to your own audience. Because yeah, you they... know what they want. You know what yeah. they want. I, I mean, I'm not a comedian, but I know I do. I use a bit of comedy in my speeches and presentations, and I know exactly what they want. I know what they want me to do. They want me to slag off the spiteful mutants. They want me to slag off the woke. <laughs> they want me to show the, the research indicate in a funny way, indicating that left people are left wing people are generally ghastly. I know. I know what they want. I know it. And uh, yeah, they, they, they like the, the in jokes, things like that. Yeah. So I suppose that uh, uh, that is uh, that is true. I don't know if Stuart Lee is a spiteful mutant. Well, it's a good um, question. He's very spiteful. And I want to flag that right at the top that I'm actually a spiteful mutant. I was thinking it, it, was, it was haunting me after our podcast when we did the, the current thing, which is my podcast. And you were on it. And I thought I should have mentioned we're talking about we didn't get on. To, actually, that's the one thing we didn't get onto was the spiteful mutant. And I thought I probably am one, even though I'm right. working against it. Well, because I have high neuroticism. I'm left handed. Yeah, I've so gone right. through all, some of your traits. So we're, well, aren't we both secretly spiteful mutants? Just well, I don't to. know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know with me. Well, that's the thing. It's it's hard to know whether it's to do with mutation or whether it's to do with developmental instability. So, for example, I was born three months early. So um, that will that will induce that's a massive environmental insult. And it's associated with exactly the things that you could, you know, like left handedness, for example, or neuroticism um, that could be there for genetic reasons in other people. So how could you know? Did you, did you have a massive environmental insult when you were young? Well, my school. Uh, no, I mean, I had a. My dad was left-handed, and my brother. I think. I think we're just all the same. We all have brown eyes, left-handed. It's just genetics. As you 
said before, lots of things are inheritable. I mean, didn't you say IQ was eight, about 0.8 heritable? So presumably left-handedness is similar. I don't know. Maybe no, I'm no, 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 no. There's very, oh. it's huge variation how heritable things are. So oh. um, something like, uh, uh, you know, handedness is, is not that heritable. No, it's, not, it's also to do lots of environment. Okay. Do you know what's funny? I grew up in that era where they still try to correct you in a sort of Victorian way. So I remember eating left-handed in the canteen at school. I went. I went to a northern comprehensive, ed, and this was primary school though. But and I had a. What year were you born in? I don't even want to say because I'm in show business, but I'm very similar age to you. Well, I wasn't. I was born in 1980, and I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, it's really silly not to say because I can just go to the Mormon website where all the British birth records <laughs> I'm are. I'm slightly younger than you, a touch younger than you, but I grew up in the north in a village. I don't know where you grew up, but it was. It was very backward. I'm up in the south in a, in a city, mate. I'm yeah, up yeah. in Wimbledon. Completely different. Yeah, yeah. I was holding a knife in the left hand, right? And that's the left-handed way and the, the fork in the right hand. And then the, the din lady came and made me change it over. It was those kind of times. But then oh, weirdly, no, that's fair enough, though. That's fair another enough. din lady came and made me change it back. So I'm, I was very confused. Oh, no. But I, I thought you meant writing. With writing, I thought you meant, you meant they tried oh, to make no. you write. No, no. Because that, that I know. that I, I had a guitar teacher when I was younger and he was born in 1959. And he was the last cohort where they, and he was left-handed, where they were forced to write with their right hand. That was the last cohort. And then after that, if you were born in 1960 or whatever, I believe they didn't do that anymore. So, um, yeah, I was surprised about it. But, yeah, so but where in the north were you from? I'm from Cumbria, from the lakes, which is supposed to be the nice bit. But I've often told people it's a bit different when you grow up there because, you know, people visit there for a holiday and they wear a cagoule and walk around and say, oh, isn't this lovely if it's not raining heavily, which it usually is. Whereas if you grow up there, it's more like just small town, northern lads. You have a, you drink down the pub, you get into a fight or watch a fight. Someone's drink gets spiked. Someone dies of heroin. It's not quite what it looks like. I, don't, I mean, my great-great-grandfather lived in a house called Thorny Howe in Grasmere. Well, there you go. Um, I'm from just outside Grasmere, yeah. Right. So that's where he was, Grasmere. You know Grasmere? I'm so, from just outside Grasmere. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, there you are. So I don't know if you've been to Thorny Howe. But, I probably uh, have without knowing it. So it's a youth hostel these days. But it's um, it's not. It's so you're saying that where you are from is not as beautiful as Grasmere. No, I'm saying it literally is that area. I'm literally from like a short walk outside Grasmere. Oh, I'm so just you're saying from beauty. you're from beauty central. I'm, exactly. I'm from the the most beautiful part of, of England, maybe, but one of the most beautiful in the world. But I'm merely sort of. Uh, cutting off in advance anyone saying oh it was just a, probably amazing then growing up because i maintain that it was it was awful <laughs> because i maintain that the experience living there is very different from the visitor yeah because it's boring living there it's boring and it's northern and you know my friends were on council estates and stuff it was not like it was not it's seen as sort of posh now and it's seen as a posh fun place to visit and I'm saying the experience of growing up there is more akin to any small northern town than it really. We weren't out walking on the fells. We were at the pub. You know, we were taking the piss out of each other, calling each other gay. It was like any northern <laughs> town. You know what I mean? Hmm. Imagine being brought up in Buckingham Palaces or some or Hampton Court Palaces the same. People say, oh, well, it's, it's different living there and being brought <laughs> yeah. up there. Yeah, try living it. Well, that's what it's Prince like Harry's saying. There. That's I'll his come whole career. The day, come there for the day and, and, and go around the maze. Try fucking living in the maze. <laughs> I mean, it's awful. Yeah. You know, don't know where you are from one moment to the next. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the way that you're, um, uh, you're, you're, you're playing down the idyllic nature of your childhood, even though obviously it was far more idyllic than living in South London. Very isolated um, though. I was in the middle of nowhere, so I had no friends, and, and was just in the middle of fields and sheep. 
The sheep mm. were my only friends. Like the Bronte sisters. <laughs> that's that, that's the Yorkshire Moors, isn't it? Uh, it's York. But did you have siblings with whom you made up languages and and and? Uh, I had a brother, you... but he was quite normal. All oh, right. Okay, we just well. played football. So so, how did you turn out like you are then? It's it's one of those things that I'd have to read probably about sixteen of your books to find out. It's one of those genetic freak accidents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, I don't know if you know Emil Kierkegaard. He's a, a chap I do research with, uh, and um, he's very based and scientific and sort of uh, uh, Aspergery. Okay, no, I've heard his... of his granddad, Soren. Yeah, uh, he... well, that, that, that's his, his great grand. Yeah, but his, his brother, his brother and mother, both of whom I met, are just really normal. It's ridiculous. And yeah. I, I said, I said, but I, I met his mother. I said, so I understand. Like Emil Kierkegaard used to live inside your body. And, and, he, and he, she was like, yeah. I was like, well, it's weird, isn't it? Because you seem really normal and he's just such a freak. Um, yeah, but, that's, that's, uh, not, that's not a particularly normal thing to say to someone's mother either, is it? So No, but she appreciated that I was friends <laughs> with Emil and so she expected. She expected that, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not, not she expected it. She, I think she, 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 she desired it. She wished for it. She's like, I'm just um, happy Emil's got some friends. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't go that far. But, 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 but um, so, so, so you were brought up in uh, uh, near. I probably, if you named it, I don't expect you to name it, but I probably know the place if you named it. Um, and and the nightlife is going into Kendall to Crystal. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Kendall. We didn't usually go as far as Kendall. We went to like Ambleside to like a pub called the Sportsman's, where you it'd be like they'd have like a terrible dance floor downstairs, and you just go down there, or you go a bonus. And I remember my brother going to bonus and getting someone hit him in the face with a can. He had a big swelling. This is the kind of thing I'm giving you. People would get in fights there. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Little small towns. So then you'd go at like the park after because there'd be nowhere left to go. And you'd just like, you'd just, like you'd just swing off trees and stuff when you'd had some drinks and just hijinks like that. Yeah. So, so, so you, 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 you went from Grassmere and you, 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 did you go to, have you ever been to the Rydal Cave? I'm yeah, going to that. Yeah. So there's, 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 there's stuff happening around the that that around that area. I remember, I remember, I went there in the year two thousand. I was, I was with this girl that was, um, that was from up there. Various places in the area. Stick the names, all these lovely idyllic names. Oh yeah, it. the caves are amazing. But that'd be like a, every day for us. Would like would be like a short walk. You're talking about this doing this like one off pilgrimage. Skelworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. One... Troutbeck's where I went to school. Uh, well, yeah, basically. Troutbeck. Okay. So yeah, Windermere, to... Troutbeck. Yeah, gone. So you went to a sort of comprehensive, ordinary. School where mm -hmm. everything everything's gay uh, and and, yeah. um, and, and and whatever. But, and, and you were so gay though, you were so gay that you went to university. That, That's it. That, yeah. that was that. Yeah, that was mega gay. <laughs> that was the worst that level. And you, I, mean, I, I understand that. You, where did you go to university? Newcastle and uh, Newcastle. New York. Okay, Newcastle's quite. I mean, that's quite. Is that is that gay? Because it used to be part of the University of Durham, which I imagine they think of as gay. Yeah, Durham's um, gay. Newcastle's more like, yeah, it's sort of standard, isn't it? It's well, no, Newcastle was if you went to Durham and you were posh and you know you went to eating or something and you did no work in your first year, then you'd live out of college in your second year, but you'd already got a contract on the house, so you'd start your degree again at Newcastle, but just be in Durham, but just go into Newcastle for lectures. Right. And that was that, that was the that was the that was the big thing. We thought of Durham as very posh, and it was Durham was divided into the really posh students who always seemed to be wearing bow ties and dinner jackets, and then the locals who would beat them up. That was our perception of Durham. Oh yeah, that's true. There were there wouldn't be, there was a there was a guy there that's a posh guy while I was there. I was there ninety nine to oh two, and in I guess it was the year two. There was a guy that was killed. He was he was he was coming back from the because if you were an idiot at Durham, you you, you not, it wasn't good enough to just be in. You go, guys, guys, let's go. 
let's get the let's get a taxi to Newcastle. Let's go to Newcastle for the evening. Let's uh let let's go to the boat. There's a great oh, club. The boat. the boat with a revolving to, dance floor. Let's, yeah, let's go to the boat. Let's go to the boat, and then you go to the boat and you get really drunk, right? Yeah, and then or a jazz club, and then and then uh, and then you obviously completely wankered. You, and the, and, you, and these, this guy started uh, somehow. I don't know the details on the train. He got the train back, taking the piss out of some locals, and they followed him off the train and murdered him. And and um, the the editor of Platinum was like this. You said like hold the front page, you know. It was, it was uh, but yeah, but I understand that only to so say you didn't. So it's a well-armed university, but you did do a, a girl, the girliest of well, not the girliest, the girliest obviously sociology, but a very very girly degree, didn't you? Yeah, I did English literature, which is extremely girly. I don't know how you know all this about me, but yeah, that was very girly. Though I did get in a fight, Ed, just to just to balance it out. I remember getting in a fight in Newcastle. Just no one got murdered, but. A lad came up wanting a, a cigarette, which is called a tab in Newcastle. A young lad, which is called a charver in Newcastle, which is like a chav. And my mate told him where to go. So he came up with a big plank of wood. Then it kicked off. Then these lads came out of this, jumped out of a car and started helping my friend fight him. I was going, I wasn't sure what to do. Then they drove off. Loads of other charvers emerged, like the little dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, just loads of them punching my mate in the face. So I had to jump him, got a couple of them out of the way, you know, got kicked on them in, in, out of the way, got punched in the face myself. It created enough of a diversion to get out of there. There was a fight. I was like, this, just to give you an idea, you know, we're, on a, we're getting in a fight on the Shields Road, which is between Heaton and Biker. And then later oh, I was... Biker, signed- yeah. Christ. I, w- I, went, I went to a heavy metal concert, a pub in Biker called the Foley Arms. And um, like a black... Christ, it was nasty, Biker. Yeah. I mean, well, it was... A- just to give you an idea, I was signing on in Biker at one point in my life with no prospects or idea of what I would do I was just signing I wasn't didn't have a trust fund I wasn't LARPing I was signing on in biker going I don't know what I'm going to do in my life so that's it's been a long journey right so you were in Newcastle and you did this this ridiculously gay and by the way you asked me how I know these things I mean I only know these things to the same in the same way that you when you interviewed me knew things about me (laughs) you've done your homework yeah yeah you've prepared that's why I said I said I wanted to be 10 minutes late I wanted to finish watching something I, I didn't knew. know that was even out there, but yeah, go I on. Wouldn't get it, I wouldn't get it on in time. I wouldn't get it, uh, I wouldn't get it done in time. So you did Newcastle, and then that wasn't gay enough to do a bachelor's degree in a girl subject at Newcastle. I get you, you're implying that you then did a master's degree mm. um, in a in the similarly gay. Uh, yes, York. It wasn't like ex- a, a even more ashamed of that. What was this? What was the topic of your master's? It was degree? like what? modern literature. A thesis. Was thesis about. It was as bad as it could be. It was it was like postmodern literature. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like the enemy. It was like it was the most mutant lefty thing to be studying. It's incredible to think about. Really, oh, I'd like to read that. I hope I can find that on the on the York University uh, Library website. That would be great. Well, they, the first half they were stunned about how good it was. They couldn't believe it because I'd left it late and ignored all their advice and done it in my own way. They couldn't believe how good it was. So then the second half I deliberately sabotaged it. So I was the kind of person I was, <laughs> so uh, which stopped me getting the, the highest grade. But um, yeah, it was very strange. I've read a huge amount of postmodern literature. I've I've also read like just all sorts of all sorts of great stuff as well, like Thomas Bernard. Most people haven't heard of. I've read like almost all of his books. He's one of the great writers. He's an Austrian writer who kind of influenced by Dostoevsky and people like that. And I've read this huge amount of books. I kind of go, why now? What was all that about? Because it's not come up in my. Uh, in my everyday life, really. So, where, did you start in? Uh, I mean, I know you're, now you're a post comedian, but did you did you start in comedy and things like that while you were at Newcastle University? Or no, was it... 
I went through a kind of, I didn't know what I was going to do after all that. I, I worked in shops. I, mean, I was working in data entry after that in Newcastle, where you had to, in Hebben, which is very bleak, and Long Benton, which is these bleak places in Newcastle, and you, and you had to type in data and the tax data, and the faster you went, the more money you got paid. It was kind of a, a, an electronic sweatshop. And I did that. I worked in, then I went to, ended up going to London working in Foyle's Bookshop, which is the world's oldest bookshop or something, or London's oldest, started in 1903. And um, all sorts of interesting people would come in there, like Nick Cave and Nelson Mandela and all these people, Tom Waits, Dustin Hoffman, I remember. But then, no, no, yeah, so was, where, where, where are those Japanese call, where are those Japanese cartoon books? Where are the Japanese yeah, cartoon yeah. <laughs> um uh, uh, there's manga, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So he, but I, it, it was interesting. Lots of people were in bands and stuff, but then I kind of didn't know what I was doing in my life. I got out of there and ended up um just doing nothing, unemployed. And mm. then one day I met a guy who was a who was a comedian, and he said he said he was a comedian. I never met a comedian. We didn't have comedy where I was from. We didn't have, I'd watched it on the telly, of course, but we didn't have comedy clubs. And I said, Oh, I think I could do that, which is one of these things that spontaneously just came out of my mouth, which I didn't think I was going to say. I was obsessed with being funny my whole life. Like when I was 10, I'd, I would say a, a quip that would make the whole class and the teacher laugh. Quite sophisticated adult level quipping. And, uh, and it was, I definitely remember that feeling of making the whole class laugh. And I was obsessed with just being funny at school the whole time. Now I'm very serious and trying to not be funny, but. That's what I was into my whole life. Well, you're failing. You're failing miserably uh, in the being serious. I, I, well, I mean, it's just not working very well. Okay. Me. Well, I'm doing my best. But basically, I was obsessed <laughs> with being funny, but I never thought I could do stand-up. I never thought I could go on stage. But this guy said he was a stand-up. I said, I think I could do that. I wrote some jokes, and I actually showed him some of them. And he, a couple of them, he said, oh, that's been done. But a third one, he actually liked. And I thought, oh, I can actually write jokes. Then he told me how to start and you know how, how to get to the open mics and where, where they are. So I started on the open mics and was immediately better than most people because it's nearly all mentally ill people and then a couple of people with actual talent and mm. then one year into comedy it was one day off one year and since i started it i won the comedy store gong show i don't know if you know what that is it's a it's a london comedy store there's a thing called the gong show you go there's 400 people in the audience you go up and if the people don't like you they can give you a yellow card and, they, and then the, the, the guy in the, in the booth goes, one card. And then you get another two cards, three cards. And then you get gone. They hit a big gong. The, to... the pressure is quite, I mean, the pressure is quite substantial, isn't it, with stand-up comedy? I mean, I've been, I used to, when I was a student, I used to, I was in a thing called the Durham, I was a writer for a thing called the Durham Review, which was comedy sketches. So I used to write comedy sketches. And we took it to Edinburgh every year. And so you, we, we, a lot of comedy shows and whatever, and you you get free tickets because you had a, a, a thing up there, a thing on. And I remember if you fall on your ass, as some people did, some people did, then it's particularly when it's the late night shows, the shows that are like 10 o'clock or whatever, and people are a bit drunk, then it's merciless. Mm. I mean, you're, you're dead. I mean, the audience will destroy you. Mm -hmm. So, so it's uh, it's quite a lot of pressure. It's not like doing performance poetry. It's like performance poetry level funny. No, bombing be... is horrific. I mean, it, it's something you have to get used to. When you when, when you first bomb, it's like you've been shot in the stomach. You're just at home, just for like the first time I really bombed. I was just at home recovering for like a couple of weeks. Just you, you feel like you know most a lot of people never make it past that first bomb, you know, because it's a horrible. It's like a social death. But but imagine the gong show then, which is even more pressure because you're a new comic. You've got hundreds of people in the audience and they can actually get you off the stage because they hate you. But I, I got zero cards. I got to the final, won the final joke off and won the whole thing, got a crown. And the, the comedy store agent wanted to represent me. Two other agents wanted to represent me. So I kind of won. It was like I'd won comedy and life. It was like, like the best night ever. 
and uh, it never got better than that. But that was the, that was the peak. That was the highlight. So then, why? Then you, 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 I infer from the way that this uh, live story is going that you then went to university in York to read postmodern. No, no, this is all after. This was all after. Oh, I thought you said Newcastle. You said Newcastle, then London. No, no, I went to Newcastle, then York, then London. And this is all in London. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. So, so it was after the University of York and your your uh, postmodern literature that you know. And um, so, so that and then the other thing, the thing that um interested me about uh, as well, uh, the the style of comedy and so forth. Now, I you said you know you you were surprised that I sort of looked into you a bit. Um, now you would have looked into me. And now, what do you think? What do you, having done that? What do you think the thing was that I suspected about you, that that has turned out to be true? I, I really don't. I, I really on, don't come know. On, come on, come on. What do you think? Well, if, you I, looked, if, if, if you actually looked into the stuff that I've researched, what would I be good at noticing? Well, you, you look into stuff like IQ, and you look into your obsessive premature birth. But I wasn't that. <laughs> that would be a lot of research. Um, you're obsessed with spike for mutants, which I definitely am. Um, back, 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 back. back. Uh, early, early. IQ, IQ. You know, like this guy's no, got a no, midwit no. IQ. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Hang on. You, you, I thought you must be. I don't know if there'll be people when when this goes out if they're going to have to cut this because I thought you'd get it straight away. What would I? What would my radar tell me? I'm very me tired. You, of... you are very tired. You are oh, very tired. Um, uh, conservative or yeah, Christian? Uh, and yes, that's the thing. So so when I when I I did I did my um, I spent a lot of time with evangelical, particularly evangelical Christians. And I um I pride myself on being able to know, and I don't know what it is. I can't say exactly. It's just an intuition that you get with some people. It happened to me recently in Olu, where I live. There was this English girl I met, and just talking to her, and uh, she's from Cornwall, and and I just thought, yes, Tristan, of course she was, and and I, that's what I thought with, when I met you uh, at Ark with Alex. Um, that's what I thought straight away, hmm. straight away. And it, and it, and and it was confirmed today when I when I watched one of your uh, routines on bit. So how did that um, how did that happen? That is interesting because I don't think of myself as a proper Christian. I'm always saying that maybe I'm not a proper Christian, but maybe you can tell anyway. Maybe you can get through even that self doubt and yeah, I can because there's a bit <laughs> of swearing and that you do, and so a real fundamentalist Christian wouldn't do that. So right. Tim Vine, Tim Vine, who is an actual like evangelical. You notice that he doesn't swear. Yeah, Whereas, Milton Jones is another one. They just do one-liners that are very clean. Right, very very clean. So it's I was like, no, it's not that. It's not like it's not extreme. It's not. It's not like the like. Well, I don't know if you had them at Newcastle University, but there was a group at Durham called Dick Hugh, Durham Intercollegiate Christian Union, uh, and uh, no, they the swearing that was that was no. But there were there were there were more liberal groups. But was that was that something that you were just brought up as, or, or no, no, or... no? That's something fairly recent. Where I, that's why I have all this kind of. I mean, your Christian dar is still kind of on point, but that's why I have all this doubt about it because it's a fairly recent thing. Well, of course, I was brought up nominally Christian, like everyone was in those times, Ed. And it was a Christian country back then called England, which doesn't exist anymore. And we went to you know we we did hymns every morning. We went across the church all the time. Even in secondary school, it was religious assemblies, and that was just the norm. So, of course, mm. I was nominally Christian, and I and I did think of myself as vaguely Christian, and didn't. Then I then I, I, I then I then I became confused when I was eighteen. When I watched the film *The Thin Red Line* by um, Terence Malick. You know, the war film. It's the Second World War movie. It's, it's a great film. But one, the strange thing is, the movie's kind of 
Jim Caviezel in the movie is a Christian and Sean Penn is a sort of cynical atheist and it's about that debate and and there's a kind of pantheistic vibe throughout the movie but for some reason I I took from it one character sort of promoting you know suggesting the idea that we're just kind of dirt which I'd never really thought about before so I kind of after that movie I became very confused and I, I thought maybe I'm not a Christian anymore but then I eventually came back to it. But what happened to make you think you were a Christian in the first place? Well, I just assumed I was in the first place. And, you know, it, 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 you just were, you were brought up in it. And it, it wasn't a great deal of thought. I just assumed I was. We were going to church all the time. We grew up with the nativity story and so on. It wasn't, you know, unless you, unless you, unless you proactively rejected it, you wouldn't actually sort of think you were a Christian, surely. No, well, but th but then um, often when people go back to it, it's because of some kind of experience, some kind of uh, uh, religious experience or something like that, or they go through a terrible time in their life and then they feel saved by God or whatever. And that's th why I thought when you say, oh, I met this comedian, I met this comedian, I thought you were going to say, and his name was Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so the way I went back to it was really weird. It was it was the opposite of what you're saying. It was, it was uh, sort of logical. It was... Well, I claim it was logical. Maybe it was, maybe it was false logic. But I was listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and all that, and he was always talking about the sort of ethics of Christianity. But he, but he didn't have the spiritual belief part, or at least he's very coy about that part. And so I was just thinking one day, well, this is great to have all the ethics, but it'd be great if we could actually have the belief part back. And then I realized, well, why not actively just decide to believe? And then I realized that's probably how it's always been. That the, the, you know, God doesn't just show up and say here i am and then then it's then it would be done for you actually everyone's always decided to believe and that's basically what faith means so then i realized it's up to me to stop being gay stop being a petulant teenager just waiting to have an experience and actually just decide to believe if that's what i believe is better for society and, and for people why shouldn't i just do it now some people like carl benjamin has said to me that doesn't really work and he can't do that and that's stupid so that's fair enough that's what happened to me then i did have some experiences after after that i had a dream where i saw Jesus and God is represented by a giant cross in the sky. And it was like, they were definitely real and they could see me. And it was kind of like scary, but also sort of euphoric. But that only came after I decided it. So I don't know. Yeah. And, and how does that influence your comedy, being a Christian? It doesn't really. It, 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 I did do a show about it. And it was very, very difficult because it was there were so many denominations. I was trying to speak to evangelicals and Catholics who, who are quite good audience members, evangelicals who are quite good, Scottish Church of Scotland Protestants who are the worst audience members possible and, and all at once. And it was very, very difficult. And it, it ended up just one joke that I retained that you've probably seen that you're referring to. There was one joke I was left with that was quite a good joke. That's really the, the only thing that's been... Tell the joke. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can remember it now because I'm so out of comedy. I'll try and remember. I might mess up my own joke. Uh, I say... I say that I'm a Christian and I go, that's a bit awkward to admit now, isn't it? I say it's, it's kind of people get a bit weird. It's, you know, everyone's embarrassed when you say you're a Christian. Even, even my dad, I told my dad I was Christian. He was, he was so embarrassed. I had to tell him I was gay just to take the edge off. Take the edge off. That's the joke. I forgot, I forgot it. I was like, dad, I've met a man. He's like, Jesus Christ. I was like, yeah, that's him. How do you know? So that's the joke. And it's got different layers to it. I forgot the joke myself because I've, yeah, you know, I've, I've just I've just watched it about, about <laughs> half an hour ago. So I can... Yeah, so uh, it was a good joke, but um, and it was based in truth that it was really really weird to say you're a Christian, especially in the comedy world, and you know, um, where there's um, those few people you mentioned, but they keep it quite quiet and no one really talks about it. 
there's well, there's the people in the old the olden day comedians, the the the, the ones from the seventies. A lot of them were uh, like Sid Little or whatever. A lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of them were Christians. But uh, I don't I don't know about any of the any of the modern uh, modern. Well, Frank Skinner Which... talks about it a bit. My friend Paul Tonkinson is a Chris, a Catholic. He doesn't really talk about it in his stand-up. You know, Tim Vine doesn't mention it. Milton Jones doesn't mention it. So a lot of them don't really mention it. Tim Vine has done a few religious-y things. Like he did right. that. There's that, that sketch. Oh, the, the, there were, God is walking with me on the beach and there's footprints. And then at one point, there's only, there's not four footprints. There's two footprints. Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah I remember that. Um, but, 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 but otherwise, no. But I have to say, I'm not one of these trad contact Christians. You know, I'm not one of these. Um, I always think maybe I'm not a proper Christian. And I, a lot of my friends are really just trad con, and I'm not like that. I barely go to church. It hasn't helped me with my neuroticism and health anxiety. So I sometimes think if I really properly believed, would I be so scared of health problems? So I don't know, really. I, I think of myself as not a proper Christian. But I, I do do a series on the current thing with Reverend Dr. Jamie Franklin, where we're reading through the whole Bible. We've done about three or four of them. We're up to about page eight. And we've done Cain and Abel and Noah, and you know. So we, we so I am doing that. But you're up to page eight. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very it's, long it's book. Gonna, it's a very long book. Yeah, it's going it's to take you a while to get to uh, <laughs> to get to the book of Revelation. If I know. You're only, if you're if you're only if you're only on page eight, um, to, to get to the real fire and brimstone and uh, end of the world. Speaking of the end of the world, um, wokeness. So the thing I was I wanted to obviously it's an industry you've been in for uh, you you were in for a while and I get I get the impression as an outsider to this that there just isn't really good comedy anymore. I, I we've, we talked about this before on when, when I came on your show. Um, you you you, um, you can't things like I don't know like Father Ted or the IT crowd. It's almost like and and of course we know what's happened to the writer of that. Um, um, it's almost as though. That was the last gasp of a real brilliant comedy in in a the mainstream sphere before it became completely overtaken by wokeness. And now they're backtracking on that. I mean, they've one of the episodes of uh, uh, the IT crowd they've basically cancelled. The one on transsexuality, and that they they don't uh, they don't stream that one anymore. Um, they, they're going they're going back. I didn't even think Little Britain was that good. It was very simple stuff. And that was only 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And they're going back on that and backtracking on that. Even during Black Lives Matter, Gavin and Stacey, they were saying, oh, it's outrageous that there weren't any black characters, even though there were. Um, and, and and so every, everything has to now. It's all what, what have you noticed in the, in the time you were in it in, in what is going on in the world of, of comedy and perhaps the arts more broadly as apropos the influence of of wokeness. Yeah, well, I, I noticed woke was creeping in even when I started in 2011. And after not long of doing comedy, I was in a competition called So You Think You're Funny, which was this competition that many people had won, famous people, Peter Kay, Lee Mack, these types of people, basically any comedian you'd heard of from that era, from the past had, had won or been in the final there, there or thereabouts. And I was in the final of this competition. And it was suddenly an all-female judging panel. And there was a woman in the competition who was really That's too. Because I mean, women aren't funny. Well, you everyone said knows it. that. Everyone Obviously, knows I think that. they're. I think they're brilliantly funny and. Just some of them, yeah, yeah, some of them. Better are. than some men women, in every. Some women, some women make me laugh to an insane degree, but on average, they are just less funny. I'm sorry. Incredibly um, funny. Sound evolutionary, sound evolutionary reasons as well, uh, which is that they're going to sexually select for men that are funny, aren't they? Yeah, no, 
Obviously, most of them aren't funny. Um, but they were there in the. They were. It was an all-female judging Smack panel. Pony, have you seen Smack the Pony? I mean, my God. I mean, sorry. Carry on. No, no, you're right. It's just, uh, it's, you know, I'm, you're right. I mean, I'm not going to be cancelled for that. I've said way worse stuff. But yeah, look, some some are funny, most aren't, and that's fair enough. But there, there was an all-female judging panel, which was a kind of obvious st- statement. And then there was a woman in the competition who really was not new enough. She, it was a new act competition, so she shouldn't have really been in it. She inevitably won it. I got called misogynist in the review <laughs> of, of the uh, of the gig. Other people were getting called misogynist that year in reviews. In Edinburgh, it was just like everyone was misogynist that year. And I was like, oh, so something's happened here. So that was the start of – that was a bit of the woke stuff coming in. Because if you looked at the previous winners, it was just like man, 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 man. It's just been a man for just decades with like one woman like – uh, Rona Cameron or something but then it was just you know 20 years of men winning which no one thought twice about right because we always we have to remember that pre-woke we didn't think twice about the concept of merit Every, even on GB News now or even on various conservative things there's an assumption that we have to uh, sort of kowtow to diversity and placate it and pander to it right so there's always got to be representation we just didn't have that before you could just have a white man winning the comedy competition for 20 years in a row no one thought twice about it. That was the pre-woke world. Whereas once you have an all-female judging panel, all the men get called misogynist. You're like, oh, this is a deliberate thing. That's and once happening. you've done it, it seems it seems inconceivable. What the, the it, it, because you're sending a deliberate message of defiance if you don't if you don't count out to it. So yes. um, it, it would be not a problem in the '90s to have. Well, for example, when John Major became prime minister, he had an all-male cabinet, and there were there was because Mrs. Thatcher was the only female in her cabinet. She didn't. She basically hated women. Didn't like women, and she actually told a guy I interviewed called uh, Corvin Mick, who is a, a member of Parliament in Poland, and she told him that she didn't think women should be allowed to vote um, because they're just not logical enough. Based, uh, yeah, based. <laughs> Until the nineteenth. Um, I mean, that's based. And so, so uh, no one, no one had a problem. But it was like, okay, eventually he put some woman in the cabinet after a couple of years. But I mean, there was only a few women in the cabinet. And like maybe it was. Two women in John Major's cabinet of twenty people. By the time he was, and no one because you, you promote people on merit. And as we're seeing at the moment with Harvard University, if you give the job to a woman, to a person because they're black and a woman, if that's your only criteria, basically, then they might not necessarily be very good. Yes, they, they might plagiarise. But that, but that fine. But also, oh, it's okay to just go around calling for the death of the Jews on campus. Um, probably more important, and the 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 it, it's ridiculous, and and so and it's not just her either. It's loads and loads of of, of this that's going on in South Africa. They promoted people because they were black South Africans rather than because they were competent. There's now no electricity system in South Africa, so it has it has real consequences. Yeah, and as we know, I mean, someone was complaining today, just today on X about this, and Carl replied, Carl Benjamin saying, well, you know, they were saying, everyone just assumes you're not there on merit now. And he said, well, we told you this would happen. I mean, that's the other unfortunate thing, isn't it? Everyone just assumes that's the thing. now. That woman at GB News, the, the one that was at ARC, I can't remember her name, but the, the very dark African uh, the, the news presenter at GB News. Nana? Yeah, Nana, right. She may well be very good. And in fact, I get the impression watching her that she is. She good, is. Yeah. She mm-hmm. is. Compared compared to some of the twits that you see presenting London local BBC news or whatever, right? She probably is there on merit, but there's a but there's a, enough doubt because of the system, and that must be very irritating for someone like her, for someone mm. that's got there on merit. 
uh, yeah. to, 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 you know, but that's, that's inevitably what happens. And inevitably you'll think to yourself, oh, I've got, I've got a, I don't know, an ethnic minority doctor uh, who's black. Let's say, oh dear, has he got their own merit? That's what it, that's what it causes. It's terrible. I know it's terrible for everyone, but it, like you say, it's so hard to go back. A lot of wokeness seems to work on that premise or it seems to use, weaponize this, this, I don't know exactly how to put it. It's just very hard to go back, as you say, because then it becomes this big statement. Oh, it's all straight white men. But before that wasn't a thing because we're in a 80% white country, whatever it is. And and most people doing comedy were men and most people are straight. So, so most comedians would be straight white men, for example, if it was comedy or whatever. And so that wasn't a thing. That was just, of course, they're straight white men. But then that became a problem. And then it's very hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, isn't it? And go, we're going back to merit. Yes, it's all white men again. Because then it looks like some big fascist statement but you're actually going no we just did it on merit we didn't think about it and this is what we ended up with but that's very hard hmm. to get back to so-called color blindness i think that you do get back to it though you get you get you get back to it if you're forced back to it uh that that's what if you come up against something so for example oxford university cambridge university Derby university it was that you had to be anglican uh, uh confessing uh and quite fervent anglican in order to graduate from these universities so the result was that, that they set up these these uh, dissenting academies, and a lot of and a lot of the best research was happening there. And the cleverest kids were going to like abroad or going to Scotland to get educated. And so the Oxford was losing money, and so they and so they had to start appointing on merit again. And then they did. So so and now it's gone back the other way. Now of course they're not appointing on merit; they're appointing the new the new religion has come in. But of course the result is that just things aren't funny. Um, and and yeah. you know, like I watched this series. What was it? I don't know what it was called? I I, don't, I assumed this would be the the pit. This would be the essence. It couldn't get worse than this. And this was in about two thousand and six or seven. And there was this ludicrous series, so politically correct, more politically correct even than the Thin Blue Line, about Jasper Carrot, and he's married to a South Asian woman, and and she's got kids, and one of those kids. It's completely disabled and can't speak, and just sort of sits there in a wheelchair, and, and and you hear his witty thoughts as a voiceover. And what, what's I, this? I, I've never heard I, of this. I, I, it's brilliant. I feel like you've dreamt this. I haven't dreamt. Honestly, I haven't. My friend told me about. It. I thought you're, you're lying. Like it's <laughs> it's, it's it, it, nothing can be that ridiculously morally didactic and PC. And that was about fifteen years ago. And let me see what it was called. But of course, it, of course, it's got a lot, a lot worse since. So what, what is, uh, since, since, since 2011, you noticed the beginning of this process. So mm. how, how, how has it developed since then? Well, as, as we know, it's just got more and more rampant. That was just a little I mean, example. In, like in real life examples of what it's yeah. led to in comedy. Mm. Okay. Well, it led to, after that, a few years later, the, the, the assumption spoken or unspoken or spoken in private in comedy that you would not get for example an agent if you were a straight white man or you would not get a good agent or you would have no real chance getting on tv or you would have a, a, a much reduced chance so comedians were all trying to get on live at the apollo that was the big thing especially when it was on bbc one and people actually watched it they moved it to bbc they ruined it now moved it to bbc two no one watches it but for a while that was the big thing and it started off seemed to be basically merit. It started off as Jack D's show. It was Jack D's Live at the Apollo. Then it became just Live at the Apollo. And again, it was people like Lee Mack, Jack D, and these very good, strong performers. Then it became woke, and, and it became, okay, we have to represent 
That's, and I've never understood why stand-up comedy, and I got in a lot of talk with this, has to be representative of anything. I just thought it's not the house, you know, even if you buy into the idea that parliament has to be or the council or something like that, why does stand-up comedy, which is a very strange and unique skill for kind of weirdos with no nowhere else it's, to go in the specific, life? It's a specific skill. It's like it's like saying, I mean, the word, it's like saying um, rocket engineering should be representative. And that and that and that, well, yeah, and that's that's when it gets really silly. Don't let's send a rocket to Mars with people on it, but let's not appoint the engineers or the physicists on merit. And yeah. that's when these and that's when these things come down. That's when they fall apart because then people die. That then, then things go seriously wrong. But when it's something that's decadent, like stand-up comedy art, yeah, you can you can get away with it. Well, it's. I think it's even more ridiculous than that. That's more ridiculous in that there's a safety element, but at least STEM jobs have a sort of high status and high pay thing, whereas stand-up comedy was was not even a high status thing, really. It's like saying, oh, we need to, we need more representation in show jumping or diving or some kind of oh, you no, know, table tennis. Um, uh, it, has think, it has now. It has now. It has now. Yeah, now it's, yes. it's high status, isn't it, comedy? It's, that was the other thing that it, happened. It, comedy was basically for weirdos. In a decadent society, actors and, and comedians are high status, aren't they? The same in Rome and in, in, in Baghdad, and it's exactly the same. Yeah. So, it, yeah, the two things happened happen sort of concomitantly. It went from like, here's a weird thing that, thing that weirdos do who have nowhere else to go, and it's low status, and it's done in working men's clubs, and it's done in dive clubs and stuff, to a, a professional career that posh people do, that people like Jack Whitehall. And, you know, someone, their parents in entertainment, then they do it. And the apotheosis of that would be Alastair Campbell's daughter has done st does stand-up now, some awful stand-up in, like, the Edinburgh Festival. And another one who's a, a Russian oligarch's daughter, who was a guy who's, like, in this some scandal in the Yeltsin era, I think involving coupons or something. I can't remember the exact scandal. He was in some sort of high-level scandal. And now his daughter gets to lecture us about feminism. And he's just like, what? So it becomes this thing, a really grotesque thing of like, you know, imagine, imagine Alistair Campbell's daughter lecturing you about feminism or something in the guise of comedy. Is there anything more impulsive than that? I mean, I don't know what she's, maybe a very nice person. I'm not commenting on her. I don't know what she looks like. It's not really a comment on that. But imagine the decadence and just, the, and you know, this guy that went to war, this sort of, this sort of failed elitist. And then it, we have to listen to his daughter tell us about comedy or feminism or some products in the guise of comedy. It's as dis disgusting as it could be. But it didn't used to be that. It used to be a low status thing for misfits and for individuals. But it became about a professional career that you could get on the Apollo and so on. Then it became about representation. So if there were six spots on live at the Apollo, two of them would be for white men, but there'd be far more white men doing comedy. So of course you're trying to thread the needle. You're trying to, you know, far more of you trying competing for far fewer spots. Whereas let's say there's four spots for uh, you know, people of color or women or something, and there's only six of them doing comedy. So, you know, it became very hard. And then people would say to you, well, what about X and Y? They're white men. And you're like, yes. Another thing that happened was they left all the white men, the extant white men, stayed on the shows. So they never went anywhere. So Hugh Dennis, is that his name, is still on all the blooming things, you know, Alan Davis. So when I got my mini cancellation, as Toby Young calls it, because he says it wasn't as bad as his cancellation, I got cancelled for saying that we should book on merit. I don't know if you've researched this, but I was, someone said they couldn't book me for a gig because I was a straight white man. I don't know mm -hmm. if you saw this. And I, I tweeted it foolishly, but with all the information taken out so no one could see who whose gig it was, just to make a funny point. This is like a wry point. 
And then it got picked up by the Express and the Telegraph and it ended up on the Jeremy Vine show. And then I had all these comedians attacking me, calling me a terrible comic and a bigot and all these kind of things and all these open micers, but, but big comics as well, like Jason Manford and Richard Herring. And they're all attacking me. Others were defending me. And um, my point was simply, let's do it based on on merit. What did, what did Richard Herring have to say? I'd never actually checked because I'm just muted everyone. Because when you're being attacked for a week and you've never been counseled before, it's quite unpleasant. But I hear he had something to say. Uh, Manf- and Manford's point it brings, goes back to my other point, which was that he was saying, well, what about Alan Davis? But he listed a load of people, nearly all of whom had made it pre the cutoff. But yeah. as, as, as I've said, it's, it's as if you're as had, to... as had as had Richard Herring, as had exactly. as had all exactly. of them, sort have and... have this kind of cognitive dissonance where they where they ha- they 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 need to appear woke in order to feel that they're morally good people. Uh, but they know perfectly well that if they were in your if they were born ten or fifteen years younger, they would be affected by this. Yes, so... and they, and they know that burying me will win them a few points with the industry. So I'd always been nice to Jason Manford and about him when people said, "Well, he had an affair," and they used to criticize him on car journeys with comedians, and I'd defend him, say he's a nice guy. And then he threw him under the bus to four hundred thousand people at my lowest point. So that 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 bothered me a little. And um, yeah, they were arguing. Well, how how are we still on the telly? Well, it, it was as if Gary Lineker was still in the England football team, and so you couldn't get in as a new person. You know what I mean? So it was like yeah. the, the old white men never left. So there was never a chance for new people to come through. Now, the argument against is always, well, what about so-and-so who's made it? And they can always cite someone like James Acaster and always say, actually, it's just that you're shit. And there are people like my friend Sean Walsh, who's a brilliant comic, incredibly talented, and they will still get through. So you could always argue that actually you're just too shit. So there's always that rebuttal. Um, yeah, well, well, um, that that's true. But you're... you're, you're you may well be not as well. I'm not sure about that because this James Acaster guy just does basically PC woke comedy anyway, and I I, I can't I don't see how he's funny. But um, the, the it's the, the one he did recently about Ricky Gervais, which is stupid. Um, but 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 nevertheless, you are you may not be as funny as those straight white women that get through, but you are funnier than the women and ethnic minorities that don't get through on merit. So, so it, yes, that's, that's, that. that's my that's my that's my counter that's my counter argument to the rebuttal. You just you, I, I call it a refutation. Um, yes. And the comedy comedy is about being funny. It's not about uh, having a voice. And the same thing is happening in poetry. I, I was in uh, uh, Blackwell's in Oxford uh, a while ago, and uh, I went to the poetry section, which used to be populated by you know like poets, people that were good at poetry, and now it's like a book of nonsense, rubbish poetry, but it happens to be by a black woman who's disabled. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. So, and obviously, she's that's why she's that some publisher has put out a book of her poetry. But it's not good poetry, but she just happens to be black and disabled and a woman, so therefore she has a voice. I, yeah. I say, right, well, I was born three months early. There's not many of us, so you know, surely my voice counts, doesn't it? I mean, this black woman. I mean, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. But that's that's so the result, presumably, and this is what happens when you don't promote on merit. It happens with the universities, is um, that they cease, they they start to basically lose prestige as people of talent uh, go elsewhere and set up their own uh, institutions. And also, I suppose it's not just that the, the talented are cut out of this. It's that this thing, the jokes you can't make. It's the, the politicization of it. Things you can't say. Yeah, yeah, it's several things, and and like you say, it, it becomes activists rather than comedians, and they're activists in the guise of comedians, and they they're antithetical to what the comedians are supposed to be because they're very group thinking people, 
they they will attack anyone who doesn't fit the, who doesn't fit in with the woke group thing. So it becomes a completely different thing, and it becomes about making a point, not being funny, as you say. And there's also that thing about I said on our podcast about the lack of shared assumptions anymore. So this is why we can't have comedy anymore because we don't really agree on anything. So we used to have fairly mainstream comedies like Friends now in the world of sitcoms, which are now thought of as beyond the pale, which was so tame when they came out to us. But there were certain shared assumptions. That even Chandler's dad cross-dressing, being a kind of butt of a joke. Obviously, how can you do that now? That's transphobic, right? But that was there was enough. You might say that was a you know that was cruel or something. But that, those were just we all basically agreed on certain things. And there also, there was still the fag end of a conservative society that that you could satirize and 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 attack and and uh, and that was funny. Whereas now that society is completely gone. It's gone, really. Um, we we have a we have a liberal left wing society, but uh, but it doesn't think it's in power. It it's it, it it believes that the conservative society is still in power, and you know the Earl of Bradford or something is still is still running the country behind the scenes, and so you have this ironic. It's almost like in the Soviet Union where you'd have them saying, "Oh God, well you know the the Tsar's spies are still around trying to overthrow uh, the Soviet the Soviet Union." It's complete nonsense. And so what they what they are now what the in the 80s these uh, alternative comedians were attacking a conservative society which had power. Now um, they those people have power. The, the, those comedians are the elite. And um, and they're basically just the foot the the lieutenants to uphold the system. Yeah, I call them regime comedians. Graham Minahan also calls them that. I think I came up with it. Maybe he did. But yeah, in the eighties, that's interesting because in this country there was alternative comedy, which was a little bit smug and insufferable. But at least you could say Thatcher was in for an awful long time. They were anti-Thatcher, so there was an anti-establishment element to it. In hindsight, you could look at it and say, well, they replaced the working men's comics. Was it actually middle-class people? replacing a working class tradition maybe they weren't so anti-establishment maybe in a way they were already elitist in a sense but they were at least attacking thatcher which you could say was punching up if you want to use those stupid phrases whereas yeah once that then there was a sort of free time in the 90s where it was just kind of you had like laddish humor frank skinner and stuff and it was just about you could be outrageous and say anything that was probably the, a better you know good time for comedy and now like you say now it's it's they are the establishment and the regime, but they still have to pretend not to be. Like Stuart Lee always has to pretend still that he's some sort of rebel, which is completely ludicrous, while praising Carol Vorderman because she attacks the Tories or something. And it's and jolly and mourn. It's the most absurd idea. And the, and the idea is this, this nonsense worldview they have of an England of the 50s, which no longer exists, yeah. where the, the, the right wing are still very much in charge and, and, and have power, which is obviously not true. Um, it's it's they who have power, and so to the extent that that comedy is the the the, the Shakespearean fall speaking truth to power, um, that's that's exactly the opposite of what they're doing. They're they're not that. The Shakespearean fall becomes these breakaway has to must be uh, these breakaway uh, subcultures which are which are not represented in the, what we to the extent that we still have it i mean my, my kids hardly watch television at all but you know it's, it's boomers that watch tv for christ's sake but the the comedians that go on the kind of things like eight out of ten cats does countdown and and we know which comedian was at arc so even he's uh, had enough of a, of, a, of a lot of this which i which i thought was interesting oh jimmy um, Khan. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, am I? But, um, oh, but yeah, I don't, yeah. Oh, I don't know if he's open about being. I think there. he was openly there. Was he openly there? Okay, so Jimmy Carr, and even he, he, I spoke, chatted to him, pleasant guy, I thought, and and he was saying to me that it's, it was the Israel thing that pushed him over the edge. The idea that you've got people in his industry defending 
terrorists and whatever, and he just thought, sod it. Um, uh, yeah. So that was, he's an ex-fundamentalist Christian. Right. I noticed like, him like, creeping across a bit because he did he did a podcast with Jordan Peterson a while ago. And I remember thinking he couldn't have even done that in the comedy industry two years prior. But then by the time he did it, it's like, okay, you can just about go there. Then arcs another step. We've seen Ricky Gervais just recently, just this week, doing a, an anti-immigration joke, which is unthinkable any other time. So there is something happening a little bit where, you know, there's these few comedians who are, of course, Dave Chappelle has just come out again with another anti-trans joke and so on in his new special. So there is a, or they, they call it anti-trans. There is a oh, they, they, they won't They won't book Roy Chubby Brown, though. Roy Chubby Brown is having problems. Yeah, all his, all his venues get cancelled by the council and things like that. He sells them out and then they, they just get shut down. And you end, you end up defending Roy Chubby Brown on TV, which is such a weird thing to to end up doing. Yeah, that's but he did, he, he never he 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 stuck to his guns. He he never he just carried on doing the comedy of the kind of the seventies, really. Yeah. And then and, and when in the eighties or nineties it was considered really lowbrow stuff, but you look at it now, or watch it now, and, and stuff from his you know, that I find on YouTube or whatever, and it's highly rebellious. You're like, wow, this is speaking <laughs> truth. Wow, you know, this is actually the new alternative comedy. That's this what is, I mean. Is... Maybe they were the real rebels all along, the alternative comics. No, no, they were... weren't. They were. They. They. That's the interesting. They. They were the regime comedians of that. I think there's some element of truth in the idea that they were the regime comedians of that time. There were certain shared assumptions at that time that you upheld. That oh, it's awful to be a puff, uh, and, and whatever. And they do jokes about things like that. So they were. They were in a way the regime comedians of their time. And then they started hosting uh, panel shows. And that's exactly what we see with the regime comedians of our time. They do comedy and they host panel shows. And um, uh, it, it, it's it's. Uh, but, but so you you you've Except on GB News when I host a panel show, but it's that's the cancelled outlier comedian. That's the outlier. Yeah, that's the, that's and the. And those people won't even go on GB News. You know, most people who really need it in their careers as well won't go on GB News, even if they need money. Comedians won't go because of the reputation in the industry. They'll lose their agent, etc. Lots of agents just have a blanket ban on on people even appearing on the channel. What what they say to they say I will not represent you if you appear on GB News. Yeah, you can be with a big agent, some of the big agents in comedy, and you just simply can't go on GB. Good God. Yeah, and that's just a, that's 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 the shallow end of the industry. That's just what the industry is like. It's based on fear. That's why I have to leave it. I was sick of living in fear and, you know, of, of people I didn't respect anyway, just a bunch of woke idiots. They're like, oh, this agent, uh, it's just all so pathetic. It's just just wrong and unmanly and just, un, just you just can't live like that as a human, constantly in fear of, oh, if I go on this, what will this person think of this? It's just so pathetic. I had to just leave all that. And it's somewhat sad and it's, I suppose, somewhat nice in other ways. I mean, yeah, one thinks of people like Andrew Lawrence that does well with his own audience on YouTube. He's a sort of cancelled, he's very cancelled. You know, he was cancelled twice, actually. And the second time he lost his agent, even other comics at the agency were saying, we won't stay if you continue to represent him. He lost all his venues, but now he's sort of back again. I think he's touring again and he's does his YouTube. So, yeah, it's, it's microcosms of one, really. It's, it's, it's down to the, it, do you support that individual's work? And people support me and Toby on the Weekly Skeptic and my podcast, and that's great. And your your Substack and everything, and your podcast. So it's people. It's down to is that. I mean, it's good in a way, isn't it? Because you can make a living, or you can do okay just telling the truth and being yourself. And in some way, that's amazing and a great opportunity. And but then on, on the other hand, it's sad because we've lost that shared culture where we we would have all watched Father Ted, Friends, etc., and we could all. And we were we were we were united as a as a country and as a people. You were united by it. That was the brilliant thing. Yeah. You'd go back to school on a Monday and people were like, Did you see Father Ted? 
Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And then, and then you, you do the jokes. About, yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's just that's decreasingly there. Or if it is there, it's among a, a little subsection. Uh, I know. It's partly the internet, isn't it? Just like, it'd be like, did you watch Ed Dutton's video on this? And you might at some point, I'll watch it later. But it's of course, it's technology. It was all on at the same time. And it was it was went out to massive audiences, but it was also the shared assumptions behind it culturally as well, wasn't it? And that's what we've, we've definitely lost. Excellent. Well, it was uh, it was uh, great to talk to you about all these things. And so, where uh, where can people find you online? And what what are you up to? And what's going on? Okay, well, definitely go to my podcast, The Weekly Skeptic, with Toby Young, if you're not already listening. Uh, 1.2 million downloads. People love it. Unless you hate Toby or something, obviously you couldn't hate me. But if you do hate Toby, there's also the current thing, my other podcast, where I interview people like Professor Edward Dutton. Carl Benjamin, Eric Kaufman, Doug Stokes, people like this. Very smart people. And Nick Dixon Comic on X, at Nick Dixon Comic. NickDixon.substack.com. If you really like me, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon and uh, buy me a digital copy. But that probably start with the podcast and see if you actually like me first. We probably have some crossover audience, though, Ed. I think we do. I, well, we certainly will now because all of you lovely boys watching this are going to go over and watch Nick and uh, uh, look, look, look uh, watch some of his... Uh... Uh, his routines online and, and, and have a good laugh. So, yeah. so I think we, if we didn't fall, we, we do now. So I would, uh, I'd like to thank Nick for, uh, for coming down the Jolly Heretic and I will see you all soon and tally ho and goodbye. Goodbye.